Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with today's episode of the Hockey PDOcast, I quickly wanted to tell you all about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the boost they need, whether it is taking your already existing podcast to the next level, or if you're someone who has always wanted to host a podcast but just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, such as myself, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms where you typically get your podcasts. And the best part is, you get all those perks for only $15 a month. It's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup without any of that other good stuff. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance to the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Guest. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and back by popular demand after his off-season PDOcast debut where we dissected the Sabres' rebuilds, it's my good buddy Chad Diedemenis. Chad, what's going on, man? Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm sure I'm doing better than you right now, uh, considering uh, you, you, well, you've been watching a lot of Buffalo Sabres games. <laughs> you got. I mean, you caught us after a win, so the mood is different, I guess you could say, right? That's true. That's true. I yeah. mean, it's, it's there's too many Islanders games in here that's really messing it up, and then they play the Islanders three times in a row next week, so it's you know we'll we'll be back to in the in the in the droids here pretty soon. It's a problem. I uh, I went <laughs> I went back. I've been watching because I knew we were going to do the show for a while, so I've, I've been making a point mm-hmm. of watching Buffalo Sabres games to the point where I went back and I, I uh, now that I'm working with Elite Prospects, I've got access to Instat Hockey and and their. Uh, video tracking software and so i've actually I actually went back and for some reason subject myself to watch re-watching buffalo sabers <laughs> games so listeners can know that i i'm really committed to bringing you the best product possible here and that included watching sabers games for the second time uh just so that i could be confident in my opinion so um yeah that's well, where we're, I, I that's watched where every we're game at twice so i i give you full credit for doing it yeah it's 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 a hard life <laughs> it's you know what but we've chosen it for ourselves so we have to uh, exactly have to exactly that. um so I went back and, and actually also re-listened to our off-season show that I mentioned at the top there where we uh, we deep-dived the Sabres rebuilds, and, and I thought we did a really nice job. I'm, I'm patting ourselves on the back. I, I thought we were fair. I thought we were mm-hmm. critical where it was deserved. The one thing I regret, mm-hmm. though, is we wasted a bunch of time, especially at the end, kind of like optimistically trying to fix the organization, and we acted as if it really mattered. And when you're as freaking cursed as this organization is... Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's pointless. I mean, it's, uh, where do we even begin? Because the season has been such uh, a roller coaster ride for, for so many bad reasons, obviously, you know, some self-inflicted, some, uh, of a very unfortunate nature, which wasn't their fault at all, but it's just, 
you kind of go into it with the best of intentions and especially at the start of a new season you're like all right well we you know got taylor hall uh all these young players could conceivably get even better there's reason for optimism it's a clean slate and then the season gets going and it's just it's just more of the same yeah it's <laughs> the crazy part is like the guys that you thought like going into it like i don't know like wrist line insulator like, that's a problem well, I mean, the guy had the best 10 game stretch of his career before he got COVID. And then not only did he get COVID, he got like the worst case of COVID anybody's got in the league besides Rossi. So, like, that, you know, that's just, I think, sums up their whole season. It's just, it's players not playing to potential. And at the same time, it's a crazy, stupid, unbelievable amount of bad luck they're going through right now. And especially it's with their key players, um, which I'll sort of we'll get deeper into it. But it's, it's wild, and and then you have you know the coaching aspect of it um, with a particular player, which again I don't want to get too deep into it. Cause I'm sure we'll talk about that too. So mm-hmm. there's just so much in the top level to rip apart with this team, but also makes them super interesting. It is there's so much to it. I mean, in some of their young guys like Bryson, who had a good debut uh, last night, and then Borgen looked good for a few games, um, but he broke his arm in the first period of the Devils game, played through it. They thought it was day to day, and turns out broke his arm out six to eight weeks. So like, oh, like it's just one thing after another, and then you lose McCabe, who is having the best season of his career because he needs a whole new knee now. He has ACL, MCL, and meniscus injury in his knee, so he's done for the season. It's and they don't even know when to get Ruslan back either. Like it could still be weeks if that. So. Yeah, you know, it, it it's rough right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when when I, when I was calling them Chris, like it's somewhat in jest, but I do think you know before we really get into this, I, I think a conversation about the Sabers, you need to acknowledge it off the top that they've been just insanely unlucky, and and it's not even <laughs> yeah. um you know it goes beyond the typical sense which they've also suffered from of of pucks just not going into the net, which is like a much more common way of being unlucky for NHL teams, but it's just a lot of stuff that, that that we need to frame it through that lens before anything and it feels like you know we, we we'd be doing ourselves and the listeners a disservice if we didn't mention i mean first off you know you've got the mass exposure to covid because of the league's negligence yep. uh, is the only way i think you can put it in terms of allowing those devil's games to happen when they're clearly at risk uh rasmus just and as you mentioned getting terribly ill as a result and I know he's someone that, you know, we've made a habit of poking fun of on this podcast over the years because of his play, but just reading about what, um, you know, he, who is a, an obscenely fit 26 year old is, is going through yeah. with his symptoms is genuinely terrifying to read as a, a significantly less fit soon to be 30 year old here. And so <laughs> I just really hope, you know, first off, he's going to be okay. I, I think everything else is, is totally, um, you know, meaningless compared to, to his long-term sure. health and ability to live a, a comfortable, healthy life. But on a significantly less important scale, you, you're, you're right. You mentioned that this just so happened to be him putting the finishing touches on what I can, I don't even remember him having a more effective 10 game stretch. I'm sure he had one earlier in his career, but um, you know, pretty much all across the board, whether it was just being a menace on the power play, like scoring a net front power play goal, um, whether it was being paired with, with Jake McCabe and having a 56% expected goal share uh, leading the team in goals above replacement. Like it was, it, it was just, it was a remarkable 10 game stretch. And after all these years of sort of bemoaning them, not moving on from him or why they were so patient with him, he finally kind of seems to put it together and have this great stretch. And then just the worst case scenario happens. You've got, Jake McCabe, his partner, as you mentioned, out for the year. And now he is going to be hitting unrestricted free agency with a completely yeah, tough break uh, for him, man. That's just, that's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Especially at, at that age, because you, you don't have no idea what he's going to look like physically when he gets back. Hopefully yep. he'll look like he did now, but he was already kind of profiling as a probably undervalued player on the market because he's not someone who's going to put up jaw dropping counting stats or anything, but just his defensive mm-hmm. metrics and ability to suppress stuff was, was through the roof and nerds like you and I appreciated it, but I'm not sure how much <laughs> right. on the unrestricted market average uh, market that would have counted for. And then Borgen breaks his arm and he looked good in his finally getting an opportunity as well. And so this is a team that just come in completely decimated on the blue line. And, um, you know, at the same time though, um, I think there's also been a bunch of issues on the ice in terms of tactical stuff and, and choices they've made. And that's why I wanted to do this show, sure. because I think someone might be listening that hasn't been following closely. And there's like, OK, the Sabres are sitting 27th in point percentage. 
I think they're sitting in last place in their division at the time of recording. They've got a minus seven goal differential for the year. It's like, yeah, these are the Buffalo Sabres. Why, why are you recording a deep dive about this? This is who they've been for the past nine years. And I just think the specifics of how we've gotten here and the fact that I really do believe they're one of the most interesting statistical profiles in the league right now in terms of yep. being like literally a historically bad five on five scoring team and a historically great top three currently in the league power play scoring. It's just like, it's just so bizarre that the same players can produce such divergent results. And so I think that's kind of why, why I wanted to have you on here, but okay. So this is a good place for us to start this, I guess, because I think if you're a believer that you create your own luck in this league, or at least do things a certain way that give yourself a chance to benefit from it, or maybe make you kind of less susceptible uh, to these wild percentage swings, then I don't think the Sabres have necessarily been tactically infallible or blameless in this because I think you and I would both agree that when you look at the personnel, it feels like certain choices that have been made aren't necessarily optimizing this current crew, and that's why I don't want to just give them a complete free pass and why I actually thought that this merited an hour-long deep dive of what's going on. Yeah, no, I I think you're completely right. I mean, it's, it's some of the players that they signed that we knew um, would be this, and I'm particularly talking about Cody Egan. Um, and it's just the utilization of like Jeff Skinner, um, Taylor Hall, and Jack Eichel not working like we thought. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's <laughs> there's there's really is a lot to pull away, and even defensively, um, you know, Dalene got off to a really tough struggle again, but um, they've been forced into a situation where now they have no choice but to play him top pair minutes, and he has taken that ball and run with it. So I mean, that that's you know one of the promising things, I guess you could say. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much Kruger wise, you really can dive into to, to rip this apart and like you said figure out how crazy this is right now well, statistically too i mean so the 31st and 515 scoring to put that into context i think they're like depending on the site uh, i think evolving wild has them at like 1.5 goals per 60 or something like that and i went mm-hmm. back and looked the only uh scoring rate i could find lower than that since 2007 is the 2013-14 buffalo sabers who are like just <laughs> a tad bit below and, and that team was pretty much actively trying not to win hockey games. Um, right, right, yep. Uh, which is alarming. Now, their expected goals are are slightly higher. They're certainly not good. I think they're 26th this year in terms of 5 on 5 expected yeah. goals, and, and it's like sounds right. 355th out of 424 qualifying teams in that span dating back to 2007. <laughs> so it's not like I'm saying, oh, they've been completely unlucky here. There's clearly something flawed. But, you know, I I, I messaged Steve Aliquet, who um, has access to the ClearSight Analytics data uh, behind the scenes just because i wanted to you know sometimes we we hear teams talk about oh our proprietary in-house metrics are, are significantly different than what you're looking at publicly yeah. and 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 funny enough well it makes us look better than you probably think we are and we hear teams kind of say that all the time paul maurice was the most recent yeah. one but he said that um according to his which I, I do think is a more accurate representation they have currently scored 10 fewer goals at 515 than expected so far um mm-hmm. and you know, they've been outscored 30 to 20 at five on five this season. And so you kind of look at that and go, okay, well, you know, if they're playing up to their expectations and converting at what we'd expect them to be, they're a break even team. And considering they have a top five power play, that would probably be good enough to be significantly uh, more competitive and winning many more games than they have so far. And so uh, I'm kind of curious about sort of the the conversation that's happening both internally with the team and also uh, locally in the market in terms of the framing, because you always hear, when this happens, there's going to be people who kind of preach patience and 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 look at the bigger picture and understand that they've been a bit unlucky here. And then there's going to be people yeah. that are like scoffing at it and making fun of expected goals and or maybe suggesting that they're, the numbers are off or they aren't properly accounting for what's happening. Like, like kind of what's going on there in terms of uh, that sort of relationship between all these moving pieces. Yeah, I th- think all of that is actually happening here funny enough so <laughs> there, there's a group of us um and it's again it's mostly the stats people like myself that are trying to preach patience i mean you're at 15 games now eventually my fear with this team is we're going to preach patience preach patience and this positive regression is going to come but it's going to be too late and, and I, we're starting to track towards that but you know the conversation i'm telling people is like you just you look around the like Jack Eichel, Taylor Hall, and even Jeff Skinner, they didn't forget how to score goals. Like, they're not going to shoot under 4% or 5% at 5-on-5 the entire season. Like, it's it's not going to happen. Maybe one of those guys does an outlier year, but 
what kind of season do you have those three players on the same team shoot like that? I mean, it's it's insane. And then you look at Victor Olofsson, who will put every single puck in the net on the power play, but at 5-on-5, five five, he doesn't have any 5-on-5 five five goals. And he's shooting like two, goal, two goals below expect last time I looked. You know, So it's it's nuts So you have a guy like Olofsson with that shooting talent that's they're just the puck's not going in. And I keep saying to people where, yeah, we'll get to in a second here, how they're still not overall generating enough offense but if they just got the puck to go in with what they're generating now they're probably at worst fourth or fifth in that division right now and we're not having this conversation we're just saying look at they're an average team this division isn't really as good as we thought it was going to be and they're in the mix well they're not getting the puck to go in and it's you know it's put them in a, in a big hole here but overall tactically yeah this is the second year in a row now that they're just I mean, you mentioned it, the expected goals forward. They're, they're still at the bottom of the league. They're just not generating enough offense. And when you make additions like Taylor Hall, um, bring in Eric Stahl, you have Skinner, um, who's still generating stuff. You have Eichel. You have Reinhardt. Um, Olofsson's a, you know, not a great five-on-five player, but still he should be able to score goals. And then, you know, you bring in Dylan Cousins, who <laughs> for a 19, 20-year-old kid, um, he really brought that second line together when he came back from covid um, he said he was asymptomatic the whole time, and that was like, I think he said the crazy part with what he had to be in quarantine for Team Canada, and then after that to come to Buffalo, he's been in like quarantine for thirty six days over the last three months, something like that. It's insane number, but he's been great. I mean, he he's really brought that second line together with Hall and Stall. So, you know, you're getting that impact too. It's just still there's a lot of point shots. There's not enough to the net. Their transition game is pretty. Or they're just not generating anything off the rush when a lot of goals in this league are scored on the rush. They're relying on their cycle game, and this they don't have enough players who really can play that game effectively. Yes, poor is a, a generous interpretation of, of that. <laughs> I, I, I here's the thing: I, like I want to be careful about how we talk about this because I think in general shooting percentage can really mess with your brains and your eyes for sure. in terms of like just being an optical illusion even when you're looking out for it and when you're kind of aware that that's a possibility it still gets you right because I, I think you can kind of talk yourself into you know, things are going poorly it's like oh well there's something fundamentally wrong and then if it's someone's kind of playing over their head you're like oh well maybe you know they're in better shape maybe they're motivated more this year and it's like a couple pucks randomly bouncing off someone's butt and going into the net and it's an <laughs> right. entirely different conversation and it's not an issue or it's a great kind of story out of the gate and it really sometimes is that simple and so i do think we need to be cognizant of it but at the same time and i'm not i'm not sure if, if you feel this way but i am kind of sympathetic to the idea if you were a sabers fan or an analyst where you're like i'm having a tough time giving the team the benefit of the doubt in terms of the bad luck department because there's nothing in the past decade or so now that's done anything to warrant feeling like this is kind of out of the norm like all these historically bad percentages are but the idea of luck implies that it's chance and it's eventually going to even out and now we're going on like nine years of a team that's just been year over year uh unlucky for a variety of reasons so i, I, don't, I don't know what the explanation is for it um but it is a really tough sort of thing to weigh in terms of like the, the emotional aspect of this isn't like a great team that is just out of the blue having a bad season and you can be like okay well we can kind of chalk this one up as a as a fluke and throw it away it's a six, five, 56 game year this is like kind of an extension of of everything that's happened in buffalo yeah for sure and, and that part definitely has merit to it and that that's part of the pushback that you get when you cite these numbers but you know i keep going back to it it's never it's never been this bad though like it's it i just keep using the word stupid like it's just stupid like Darlene, I think, is a perfect example for me. He, he's a guy right now that I'm pretty sure is at 1.67% on ice shooting percentage. His expected goals is at close to 51% um, score and you know venue adjusted. And then you look at his actual goal differential, it's at like 15%. Like it's just it's stupid stuff like that. It just makes no sense. That never happens. Or if it happens to happens to one guy, not five on your team, and it's. It's just it's frustrating because, like we said, they'll just kind of start this. If you just were getting what you were were supposed to be getting right now, this team is not going to try to compete for a Stanley Cup. They're just trying to get in the playoffs. And if they were just getting the goals, then they'd be in the mix for it. I mean, they do an excellent job for all of Kruger's shortcomings with his offensive 
um, restrictions, I guess you could say, that, that that guy can put together a nice defensive system. He's done it two years now. And they're one of the best teams in the league at, at suppressing opportunities. So, you know, while the, a low event style isn't pretty and isn't fun to watch, it, it can work if, you know, they just were getting the goals and it's not happening and it's... Uh, maybe you can hope the New Jersey game kind of boosts them. Because, I mean, they hit like three posts on a power play then eventually scored and then they scored twice in the third period at 5-on-5. Five five, so maybe that was kind of a turning point for them and boost them to give them some confidence. But, you know, it's... it's I still can't get over just how crazy these numbers are and it's never been like this before. Yeah, I've given this a lot of thought because I don't think saying... Uh, they have a low shooting percentage and it will bounce back makes for riveting podcasting and doesn't certainly doesn't give us an hour of material. So I've, I've really right. given it a lot of thought in terms of if there's something we're not necessarily accounting for, or maybe something that they're doing that's either exacerbating the issue or making them more susceptible to it. And, and the one kind of working theory I keep coming back to is if you use, uh, you know, shot attempts for and against as as kind of like a proxy, the rate of them as the the pace we play at, which I, I tend to obviously has its flaws, but I, I think it kind of gives you yeah. a good representation of what's happening on the ice, right? And they're right, currently yep. playing at the 30th ranked pace at 515, which is like literally just the smallest possible fraction ahead of Detroit. And they're right down at the bottom with teams like Dallas and St. Louis and sort of the usual suspects. And, you know, those teams have had success. So this isn't to say that you can't be successful playing that way. Entertaining hockey doesn't necessarily uh, equal positive results. But I think the, mm-hmm. the bigger philosophical question that I would hope they're asking themselves right now is, are they built for that? And and should they be doing that? Is that the optimal way to be running this team? Because I think we'd agree a coach's main job is to properly evaluate the strength and weaknesses of their personnel and get the most out of them and we're going to work around them, right? And you look at the Sabres group, I don't think it's going to be mistaken for the Russian five by any means, but... Like Eichel, <laughs> Hall, Skinner, Cousins, Dolly, even Brandon Montreux, who's a highly flawed player, like his best yeah. skill is is skating. And yep. this is a team that like theoretically their strength should be that ability to get up and down the ice. And I'd be highly tempted to see what it would look like at least to take those training wheels off, let them play up tempo. And instead you've got this super low event environment where nothing's happening for large stretches of time. And it leads to good defensive results, but I wonder, especially in terms of like the long-term development of a player like Darlene, whether that is the best way to to go about bringing him along. Because it seems like it's 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 a pretty tricky uh, way to have to play as as a young player in today's game. Yeah, for sure. I, I think we even talked about this um, in, in the off season. Is you know when you went out and made those signings, Hall, Stall. Um, you know you're, you're bringing Cousins in this season. Um, you know you have Skinner and Michael and Reiner and I guess all those guys. There, there's there's no reason um, for you to play in a low event style. It, it just it, it didn't make sense. And, and when they made all those moves and they brought in, you know, Hall is a good transition guy who plays with speed, and they kind of focus on it with Tobias Reeder coming in and Cody Eakin. I mean, those those guys can skate. So I mean, you see that, and you're like, okay, their defense can skate too with Darlene or Rissalainen can get going. McCabe's a decent skater. Uh, Colin Miller can move too. So like, you have some guys who can move on the blue line. So this is going to be a team who's going to probably transition better and you know try to get more on the rush to be more effective and better forechecking team um and not the style they played last year well turns out they're playing the same style they played last year mm-hmm. which i don't think matches what they have at forward now the caveat to that is where the glaring issue comes up and it's something that was an issue in the offseason is they didn't they didn't address their goaltending and you know Hutton and Allmark right now are are two of the worst goalies and goal saves above expected in the league, um, and, and that's with a low event style of hockey. Right. Now, if you open it up, you might score some more goals, but what's the likelihood you're also going to allow more goals? So that that's kind of where the catch twenty two is. We have here the conversations in Buffalo is yeah, let's open it up more, but can our goaltenders handle it? Now, Allmark the last four or five games has played really really well. And they're kind of just riding him out here, which is good. Um, but through his career, he's kind of been a guy who'll throw in 10 great games and he'll throw in five stinkers and then four good ones and five bad ones. It's so much inconsistency. So that, I think, is ultimately the catch-22 of this team. While, yes, they should open it up more, I'm not sure it's going to result in more wins because their goaltending still could be a problem. 
Yeah, no, that is a good point. I, I was surprised to see that Allmark's numbers for the season were as poor um, in terms of the expectations as as they were, because I guess maybe I just, the recency bias of his most recent performances were even the game where he gave up a couple goals in Washington. I thought he played pretty well and made some pretty ridiculous yeah. saves, and you can kind of see the athleticism. And I don't know, at the, the same time... The crazy part is it flipped from last season. Right? He's, right. He was one of the best five-on-five goals in the league last season, but his penalty kill numbers were atrocious. It's flipped this year. His penalty kill numbers are really good, and his five on five, you know, numbers are pretty poor. So it's 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 crazy how that flipped on him. Well, but I guess there is probably a middle ground there, though, where you know the the Stars are a team I mentioned that that generally plays a low event style is kind of considered to be um, stingy defensively. But as we saw in last year's postseason, um, they were very opportunistic in terms of. Like mm-hmm. when they would pick their spots, like they would nail those transition opportunities. Like, you know, and and it helps having guys like Heiskanen, obviously, to, to kind of move the puck quickly right. in Klingberg. But, you know, Gurianov and, and Hintz and so on and so forth, like they would kind of lull teams to sleep a little bit where they would let them, let the Vegas Golden Knights dance around the offensive zone and keep everything to the outside. And then after seven minutes, they would get the puck and quickly it would just randomly be like a three on two going the other way and, and they would make the most op- opportunities and i guess maybe what's that's on the net what just happened kind of thing right yeah exactly and you're like okay well we were out playing them for such a long period of time and we have nothing to show for it and uh, i don't think that was by, that's a fluke like i i think it's it's a risky way to play but it was clearly by design and they pulled it off and so if you're the sabers team you could you can still play a lower event environment but that transition game i mean it, it feels like sometimes and it, it's so bizarre because you would think that they have the puck carriers to, to do it. They just, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I don't know. Do you think it's as simple as like they're being coached not to? Because it's just so bizarre to me that it's not happening more. It, it feels like it's kind of being beaten into them in a way not to uh, take those risks because that's the only possible explanation I have for why you're not seeing highly gifted skaters breaking out into transition more often. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was looking at, because um, I was thinking about the exact thing, the transition stuff, it just didn't line up to your match. So I was looking at Corey Snyder's um, microstats uh, the other day, and it's only like six games I think he's tracked with the Sabres, um, which is a small window, but it kind of gives you an idea of what's happening here. So my theory was they were dumping the puck in a lot. Well, that doesn't really seem like it's the case. I think they're like still top 10 in the league and entering with um, possession in the offensive zone. But if, if I remember correctly, they were like 24th or 25th in chances off of entries. But I think what's happening here, and you kind of saw it a lot against New Jersey too, a couple of times I wrote down, if you wrote like the times, I go back and watch the video again. They would get the transition going through the neutral zone, they'd end up with speed, then nothing would happen. It'd be a turnover, a player would stop, or it'd be a bad pass, and that kills the play. Just like they're 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 getting the starting point right, but it just it falls apart. Nothing happens from it. it it'll be a bad pass, it'll go off a stick, somebody will pull up and allow the rest of the defense to get back into the play. So I, I think that's the issue. I, I think they lack support and creativity in transition. And that could be an issue. Maybe there's still not enough speed or even creativity itself on this team. Um, and, and that's what's hurting them. And maybe, you know, it, it gets back to the system thing where, you know, Kruger thinks um, they're, they're a better cycle team, which I just don't believe in. And maybe, you know, that's why they're not fully going that hard in transition and, and setting up these plays because they're trying to, set up a cycle play, I guess you could say. So, you know, that, that keeps getting back to the system. But I, I really think there's a lot of what I call empty calorie entries um, for this team. And I think it's really hurting, especially for players like Eichel and Hall, you know, that kind of live and thrive off that transition game. Yeah, there's a reason why so many teams have shifted to, like, primarily attacking off the rush. It's because the, you know, the data shows, like, how much likelier you are to score on shots coming yep. off the rush as opposed to, sort of stagnant offensive zone sets where you're kind of settling for a point shot through traffic while the defense and the and the defensive shell is and the goalie are set and it kind of shifts the math yep. in your favor but yeah that's what I kind of keep coming back to here it's like you know you have a bunch of players who are clearly imperfect as a lot pretty much the majority of, of NHL players are but you have they each got to the NHL for a reason for the most part right and you have certain skills and it's up to you to get the most out of them and like the Victor Olofsson thing for me is one of the most puzzling things where <laughs> he, at, so on the power play, he's got 19 power play goals in 76 career games since the start of last year. Only Pasternak, Dreisaitl, and Matthews have more goals with a man advantage. He's shooting 
28% on the power play. And that seems low based on watching Buffalo Sabres games because it feels <laughs> yes. like every single one of his bazookas just winds up. If he gets you know, a one-timer, it's going in is what you feel like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like it's impossible. It's just a matter of whether he's going to hit a spot or not because the goalie's not going to stop it. And yep. it's a big reason why their power play is is third in the league and scoring so far on a, on a permanent basis. And at the same time, you, you put that in contrast with he's got six goals at five on five and like over a thousand career five on five minutes now uh including zero this season uh which doesn't make him unique yeah. as a buffalo saber but is still <laughs> an alarming continuation of a trend and especially because 850 of those have been with jack eichel and yes you think like yep. all right so you got olison who has this remarkable shot we see it on the power play what are you doing to manufacture easier looks for him at even strength it really would seem logical like even though he's not necessarily the most beautiful player like getting the team out in space on the rush where he has more time and you maybe an automatic automatic advantage you've got a three on two or a four on three coming down he's gonna be unchecked and he's gonna have that same sort of look as he has on the power play and there's just not nearly enough of that and i do wonder like whether that is something they're looking at right now and, and kind of concerned about if he is going to be just purely a power play specialist, which is remarkably valuable, or if there's some tinkering they can do to squeeze more out of that shot at even strength, because if that goal total just is not good enough for how good that shot is. Yeah, no, to me, he's just a bad five on five player and he's 25 years old. And I know it was only a year and a half in the league, but he played a lot of pro hockey in Sweden. That was his game. Played a, he played a two a year and a half of AHL hockey or one season at least. That was his game, and now he's in the NHL and he's doing the same thing. He's just he's just a power play specialist. And, there, and don't get me wrong, there's value in that because he's a really good power play specialist. So I mean, I'm, I'm not saying like they shouldn't play him at all, but but then why is he I, playing I top they, line minutes at five on five? Oh, that's the thing. I think they need to accept it. Yeah. They they need to just bury him at five on five. He, like I said, 850 minutes with Eichel, and he has five goals. What other player would get that leash? If some guy's on Eichel's wing, I mean, Skinner got two games on there. He didn't score, and he got pulled off. Olsen gets 850 minutes, and he has five goals at five on five with Eichel. Nobody gets that leash. Sherry didn't get that leash. VC didn't get that leash. Skinner didn't get it. I mean, nobody does, but he does. So I, I don't know if they're just trying to force a square peg in a round hole with him and just they need to accept it. It's who he is. And it's fine that he's that player. Yeah. I, I call him a poor man's line A. It's fine. Let him be that guy. Put him on your third and your fourth line. Maybe he'll get loose sometimes in five on five and pop you a goal or, you know, five to six goals at five on five. And then he's going to rack up his goals on the power play. Just let him be that guy. There's no need to continue to let him play top line minutes because a lot of plays die in a stick. He's not a good against the wall. He loses the puck in transition. He makes the wrong pass. And, and that's just, I think it's hurting Eichel's transition game because you'll see a lot of it. You know, he'll he'll push it off to um, Olsen as he's entering the zone and then it'll be, the, the play dies. Or he'll get his Olsen on the wall in a, in a cycle play and the play dies. So they they just need to get him off that wing. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen because they, they're, they're stubborn and frustrated when they want what they want. Um but yeah, I mean, they got to make a, t- I don't want to say even a tough decision, just the right decision there and, and just accept who he is at this point. Well, and when you're not paying a premium for, which they aren't right now based on his contract status, um, like that is a valuable asset. I, I think back to, was it 2015 or 2016, maybe there was that one year where Columbus randomly had an amazing power play and they had like Sam Gagne who they champions aren't born they're made and the secret to make your business reign supreme Shopify the all-in-one commerce platform to start run and grow your business forget the off-season work Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers It's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. 
Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. Signed for like the league minimum, playing on their fourth mm-hmm. line. And then he just come out on the top unit power play and they just had like this beautiful motion. And, and he wasn't like obviously the trigger man shooter that, that, that Olofsson is in this case, but it was that sort of same sentiment of, pretty much a pure power play specialist where he's not going to be playing much at even strength, but he's going to generate you some easy offense here or there. And and I don't think that's anything to scoff at because as we're seeing, he's an immensely valuable power play player. And that's literally the only thing that's been keeping this team afloat so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I just don't know if they're ever going to do it. I mean, Kruger digs in when he wants what he wants. Well, this is a great transition to talk about Jeff Skitter. Uh, this is why you're a professional. Um, wow. The, I know you're like very over this, but we have to, we have to like fully unpack all this because it's good. It's all good. It's been bewildering. Uh, it, the discourse around it drives me crazy. A lack of nuance. It's just, okay. So to sum it up, they gave him 855 on five minutes with Eichel. Uh, Mm -hmm. he scores 40 goals that year. They give him $72 million over eight years. Then last year, in the first year of that deal, they play him primarily with some combination of Marcus Johansson, Connor Sheary, Evan Rodriguez, Vlad Sabotka. I think those were all of his top uh, five-on-five line yep. mates. Cut his minutes. They basically take like a minute at five-on-five off the board, half a minute or so on the power play. His shooting percentage dips and it gets cut in half, which kind of happened on his way out of Carolina. And I think a reason why Carolina kind of soured on him. Uh, and he quote unquote only scored 14 five on five goals last year, all of which, uh, so all of 14 of his goals were at five on five. That was more than yep. Mark Shifley, Mark Stone, Sasha Barkov, yes. Andre Svechnikov, John Tavares, Patrice Bergeron, Philip Forsberg, to put that into yep. perspective. Um, <laughs> so they come in this year, and from what I gather, the suggestion or implication was they want to spread the wealth. They feel like he can help drive play on this third line and 51% shot share, 61% high danger chance share. It seems like they accomplished that. Like obviously the offense wasn't there, but in terms of playing up to your kind of territorial responsibilities, it seems like they did just fine. And he gets scratched for these Mm -hmm. past two games. And I guess the question is like, what are you, if you're being, uh, you know, genuine about this and taking it on its face. What are you realistically expecting from a player that's playing full time with with Curtis Lazar and Riley Shan, who um, have historically been black holes offensively? Shan, most memorably in 2016-17, despite playing the full time season with the Red Wings, didn't score his first goal until the last game of the season. Um, so it's just like with those two players. Yeah, he. It's obviously not great that he has zero goals and one assist so far, and that looks bad. Uh, yeah, yeah. But were you expecting that he would be crushing it offensively given the opportunity you were giving him? That's the thing I keep coming back to. It seems like it was just this like sort of they put him in a position to fail in a way and he almost didn't didn't fail like they were probably expecting he would and they still he still punished got punished anyways. Yeah, I, I think that's you know the entire thing that I, that I'm looking at right now. I, I wrote about this week and, and that was the entire thing. I don't know what Kruger wants of him. And really it's, it's frustrating and kind of what I'm accepting at this point is that the simple answer here is, well, if Kruger doesn't like the player, uh, it was evident last year and he's doing the same thing again this year. He talked in the preseason about um, the training camp about, you know, principles. He has to follow principles. And I, I, I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know what these principles, is there defensive principles? Like he, he's playing better defensively than he is offensively. Are, technically, are, are his Cody underlying Eakin numbers. and Kyle Pozo following these principles? Well, that's the thing too, right? It does. It doesn't check, and that's why it just it comes back to he doesn't like the player. But I don't know what you're expecting or what you want out of that line. Really, the Sheehan Lazar 
Skinner line makes them a three-line team. They're winning their minutes. I mean, I always get back to the objective of the Buffalo Sabres is to not badly lose the minutes Jack Eichel is not on the ice. And that line wins their minutes in almost every measurable metric. Goal differential, expected goals, goals against, uh, shot quality against, um, you know, chances. You said high danger chances. Like they're, they're winning everything. What do you think is going to happen? You're putting with Lazar and Shane. Like those guys don't score goals. You're asking them to be a checking line. And in his last game, he got no offensive zone starts. All he got three defensive zone starts, no offensive zone starts. So he's deployed pretty, deployed pretty much in a defensive role, which again they succeeded at and created offense. I think he's top twenty in the league in individual expected goals. Just the puck's not going in. I just I don't know what Kruger wants. If you can't deploy him that way and expect goals, but get everything else you're asking him to do in the way you're deploying him, and then scratch him. It just it doesn't, and it keeps coming back to he just doesn't like the player, and that's that's the simple answer to all this yeah but you if you're ralph Kruger, you have to get over that like this isn't I, this isn't a sunk cost like said, where he, you, he's he's stubborn right but this isn't like in some cases uh when a player especially like if they have hit a certain age you're like okay like this was a bad contract we're just not going to get value out of this let's not try yeah. to double down here like let's not play him like this is not a player you bury he's turning 29 only 28 yeah. yeah, he's got six years left at nine million per. The thing is, though, he's making I think forty million combined in real salary over the next four years. So he's got this no move clause, and I've seen people go like, "Oh, this is the first part of the dance where they're gonna alienate him into waiving his no move." It's like in this climate where, like, an Adam Henrique for significantly less basically just passed through waivers. Uh, you're just not seeing teams taking on financial commitments for no. one or two years, let alone six years. No one's taking that contract. It doesn't matter. He can say he can, he'll go to any of the 30 other teams. Like it's, it's not happening. And so it, the, the, the bizarre thing for me is like, you're a team who's struggling five on five to score goals. Skinner, although he hasn't so far this year is a guy who historically scored five on five goals at a very high rate. And your yeah. one strength as a team is your power play. As we've talked about so far, and he's just like an all-time great penalty drawer. And yep. I think he's drawn six penalties so far this year. And it's like, if only for when that. I looked, if, I think he was 19th in the league in penalties drawn for 60 minutes. Yeah. And it's like, okay, if you're if you have a bottom six guy who literally just draws penalties at a high rate, he can do nothing else. And that's going to be valuable for a team. can't score five on five, only scores in the power play. So that makes it even more valuable. Yeah, exactly. It's so that, that's what I keep coming back to. It, it's just crazy to me. And so, um, like I said before, I, I, I asked Valiket for the uh, clear stats analytics uh, numbers for this. And so mm-hmm. Evolving Hockey has him at 2.93 expected goals at 5.15. Natural Statric has him at 2.95. CSA has him at 3.7 5.15 expected goals <laughs> so far this season. So the public That's models sick. are underrating the quality of the looks he's been generating so far and how much we expect him to score. And uh, it's just, it, it's crazy. If it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. Um, but it is, it is sad. And so I'm not sure what the takeaway is here and sort of what, how they're going to bridge this gap between coach and player, because if Kruger doesn't like him at this point, Jeff Skinner kind of is what he is. And you and I both agree that he doesn't need to change because that's perfectly valuable, even if he is overpaid. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I don't understand like how this impasse will be resolved because, and, and the bewildering thing for me is you can envision a scenario where they put him back in and he scores because he's a good player who's due to score and the dialogue will be about how he was motivated and how this was actually the right decision yeah, all along. And it's like, Oh my God. And, and you know, that, like those yep. articles and tweets will happen. Oh, absolutely. Abs Kruger will be glorified. See, he knew what he was doing the whole time. It worked. Like, it's, stop. Like it, it was, this was only a matter of time when that happens. And it, but I don't even know when he's going to get back in. Cause I, I find it hard to believe they're going to play him Thursday against the devils. They just, you know, you don't want to mess with winning lineup, although they took him out of the lineup after they won a game. But you know, so, so they'll ride that winning lineup because Rasmus Hasselblad had a shot go off his stick from Jack Eichel, so he's got to stay in now. And and then what? And it, maybe against the Flyers on the weekend. Maybe what if they win again? Then he's out again. Then what are we doing here? Now we're at a week. We're at five. We're at six. We're at seven games. So it's 
I, I don't know. I, I mean, if they're thinking this is a way to get him the way than a move clause, it's not going to work. He he wants to play close to home, and that's one of the reasons he ended up in Buffalo because Carolina got away with no move clause. Says okay, fine, Toronto or Buffalo. What do you think he's he's just going to say? To you, okay, fine, I'll go play in Seattle all the way over there. No, he's going to say the same thing. Okay, trade me, Toronto or I don't know Montreal. Those are your two options. Good luck. Like he's not going to make it easy for him. I don't know why he would either. He shouldn't. I think we need to have a conversation about Ralph Kruger. I, I think we do too. I, I I wonder about him. I really do. Uh, the media is enamored with him, and you can a lot see, of water carrying, especially when he got hired too. You can see why. Like, ew, listen, we bemoan all the time about how this is a sport with no personality or thoughtfulness or any sort of a, uh, you know dynamic personality qualities beyond hockey 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 24 7 and like in Mm -hmm. comes this guy who is clearly charming kind of a worldly guy well-traveled thoughtful seems to be fun to talk to i'm sure a lot of these people who write articles about him and get scoops uh, loved chatting with him um sure but beyond the the theoretical idea of him like do we genuinely have any reason to believe that he is best suited to be behind an NHL bench and can be an effective NHL coach. You seem to at least, you know, the past year and a half now or a year and a third of a season, uh, he has certainly constructed good defensive results. So that 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 is something like they're not, uh, you know, completely porous in, in their own end. And, and right. it's clearly by design. So, um, you know, that is something that I would point to, I guess. But just in terms of the personnel usage, the adjustments the system the strategy i think it's especially been exposed a little bit this season where you've got these three straight games against the islanders and you're just kind of approaching it certainly shorthanded but you're approaching it each game the same way and it's like you're playing right into the islanders hands. like they would love for you to play this type of way because they're better at it they're gonna beat you at it yeah and- well he tried to pledge that that's what happened in the last Islanders game he tried to play the islander style it worked for a period and the Islanders like okay this is cool we're just gonna play our game and then we're gonna beat you yeah just it, it you don't beat the Islanders at their own game. They're the best in the league at it. You just you can't try to do that, and they've tried it every time, and it's hurt them. So I, I don't I don't know. It, it's you know the, the thing I've always said about Kruger is I think long term um, that he's he's at eventually at some point you're gonna move him to the front office role. Because if I remember correctly, before he got hired, even the interview he did, um, he talked about wanting to come back in the front office role. And then all of a sudden he's a coach. And we're like, that's, okay, that's interesting. Because we heard the connection between Kruger and the Sabres. We're like, oh, maybe they can bring him as a president of hockey ops or some sort of thing or a team president. And then he's the coach. And that, okay, I guess. It's just, you know, so that's the dynamic I think has always been there. And I, I think he can act, like you mentioned, he's a good guy. Um, he's well-spoke. He's intelligent, um, you know, from like even just a world, you know, perspective. Um, I, I think he'd be a good guy to act as a buffer between the Bagulas who put their foot in their mouth every opportunity they get. And, you know, he can be the guy to stop that as a coach, as a tactician um, of the modern game. We haven't seen anything that has indicated that he's good at that. Going back to Edmonton, maybe he was unfairly fired, but still the results weren't good. Only good results he has as a coach is a small tournament, you know, for team Europe playing the low event style that can work in a small tournament, right? Yeah. The same that works in the playoffs. So, you know, so that that's, I, I don't know. So my, my hope is maybe after this season, I'm like, all right, well, if we're going to bump you up and we're going to get a new coach, because Adams technically didn't hire him. Um, you know, so maybe that comes about. I mean, Julian's out there now, Boudreaux's out there. Um, you know, I saw a thing from Pierre Lebron talking about, you know, what if Rob Brendamore is a free agent? He used to work with Kevin Adams and, you know, so maybe that's an outside chance they could look at too. So there's names out there. Um, even Gallant, I don't think I mentioned him. He's still out there. So there's some names um, they could run down if they want to make a change. But I don't know. I, I think eventually he's going to go there, but I just don't know when it's going to happen. Oh, if you want lack of offensive creativity, can I offer you one, Claude Julien? <laughs> right. Who yeah. I think would be a, uh, I should say, a ma- it all jokes aside, a massive step up in terms of uh, tactics and, and, and squeezing results out of this team. But, um, yeah, I, I I wonder. It seems, certainly seems like the uh, the connection and relationship with Taylor Hall was a, a reason why Taylor Hall came. Sure. And I think anyone and Jack Eichel likes him a lot. Yep, no, which I is important. That's important in this situation where right now, I think you need to keep Eichel as happy as possible. 
and I think, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but everyone I've talked to about this seems to believe that, uh, I'm not sure how far along in the process they are, but like the belief is that Taylor Hall will be staying in Buffalo for, for, for some time. Like this isn't really a one year deal. Like it was, if you, if you look at it on the cap friendly page, but, uh, the connection there, it seems like this will be more of a long-term relationship. It's interesting. Cause I actually had the conversation with somebody about it that today, um, that told me they think that's a little bit overblown mm. and to not kind of say that's going to happen yet. Um, they said hey, right now it's probably at best 50, 50. Um, what they did say to me though, is unless they're way out of it, um, they don't expect it all to be traded. Uh, but they, they said, you know, the LeBron, I don't know he had the article or the comment or whatever. Um, they said, you know, maybe that's maybe a little bit of crap for the horse kind of thing. Cause they, they don't think they're there that far yet. Well, if you're pitching a, a player on signing away the rest of their productive years, this season certainly has not been a very enticing one so far. <laughs> right, I, I you know, that. exactly, exactly. Um, but, okay, so let's talk about some silver linings here, because I think if you look at it now, I believe they're currently in this stretch of ridiculous scheduling where they have like 36 games in 63 days or something by my count, which is just mm -hmm. insane uh, leading up to <laughs> mid-April. Um there are certainly difficulties in terms of if you were going to improve this team in terms of trading. Uh, you and I discussed uh, through messages about how I think a Matias Ekholm would be very interesting, especially considering all of their injuries in the blue line, because yeah, I think he still has quite a bit of game left. He's only got one year left on his contract at a very reasonable hit. And certainly, uh, you know, the way teams divvy out ice time is usually an indication of how in favor that player is with the organization. And, and his has been like yep. as, as significantly cut as I could remember for a player that's still somewhere near their prime. And so it seems like one foot is out of the door there and it's just a matter of where uh, the landing spot is going to be. And so he'd be an interesting player, but I, I don't know if you're in a position necessarily to be making moves like that when you are where you are in terms of the Sabres right now. And the fact that you probably wouldn't get that player in your lineup for at least, you know, a certain amount of time especially with this schedule of 36 games in 63 days yeah. like missing two weeks could be a significant number of uh, of games you're missing so i'm not sure if it's worth it right and i know the teams have like figured out some way around it with having players drive or private planes that goes from like 15 to like seven or something like that um but still yeah i mean they're, they're gonna miss games so that's the difficult part but i mean you're looking at a situation right now on the left side of the blue line it's Dalene. And then it's a rookie, Jason, Jacob Bryson. It's Matt Irwin, nah. And then it's Brandon Davidson, which is nah. You know, so <laughs> I, I feel like if you want to, and then there's the, you know, the Friedman report the, that they have Brandon Montour out there. So I don't know if the McCabe injury is going to prevent them from doing that or they're going to hold until uh, Rich Linen comes back. But I think they need to address the left side of their defense. Um, you know, a guy that I really like that I, I think is underutilized in Montreal and maybe now that Julian's gone, I don't know if that changes things, but Brett Kulak is somebody that I, I would look at. Um, I think he's a guy who could, you know, he's a cheap contract, which they don't have a lot of cap space, but now they have some LTIR they could use if they really wanted to with McCabe and Gergensons. Um But yeah, I mean, I think he's been in that lineup kind of rotating with Mete um, in Montreal. So I've always liked him, and I think they don't value as much as they should. He's kind of one of the nerds, you know, under appreciated players i guess you could say so hmm. you know if it was me I, I i wouldn't target a guy like a was gonna cost a lot of money or, or not a lot of money a lot of you know assets to go right. acquire him yep. um i just don't think they're in that position but i would definitely try to run down a player like kulak or even mate if, if they do decide to move him we know he wants out yeah i'm really interested in the in the decision making process and sort of how they're reaching their conclusions especially with the uh front office reshuffling uh during the off season and sort of what like, do we have any indication of what that process is like in terms of the uh, the hierarchy or, or, or the voices involved right now? Because I keep coming back to it. Like we talked about it, and it's it's a small thing in isolation. But like, how you possibly could look at Cody Eakin last year and decide to give him two years as a free agent, and now there's sort of the owner saw him play in the Cup Finals. I'm, I'm not kidding. I mean, it's it's so brutal because when your when your best players aren't producing the way they are so far, you just really cannot afford to be giving away any minutes. And pretty much every time that line is on the ice, they're just giving away those minutes to an extent. And I don't. I'm, I'm curious. Like, what what 
what is the process right now in Buffalo in terms of uh, evaluating players and, and the choices they are they are making? I mean, it's Adams a de facto GM. And the way I put it is, is it's Adams a GM. He has no assistant GM, so his assistant GM is Ralph Krueger, and I honestly believe that. So it's kind of a one-two punch with those two. Um, but yeah, I mean, it all falls back into the Bagulas, you know, and and you could just see it, it in the draft. The Bagulas are sitting at the table um, during free agency. Both the Bagulas are sitting at the table, and there was this video they put out about you know Taylor Hall, and when they you know they they showed some clips from you know free agency day and how they kind of rained down Taylor Hall, and there was a closed door just audio thing you know with adams and pagula and pagula talked about you know how you know signing hall shows that we're we're going to be a cup contender now like dude what like, <laughs> like how out of touch kind of are you you know it's so that that's the concerning part that you know he has his favorites risalinen is a favorite of the owner and that's one of the reasons i believe that he's still here um you know honestly i, I have a feeling that once he hears about it does know that they're not pleased about paying Skinner nine million dollars to not play because that was a that was a big issue that came up over the summer, uh, July first. All those bonuses were due mm-hmm. um, about all these players that are owed bonuses and they had to pay out that don't play that much. <laughs> so well, the Sabers have I never made a bad roster now. decision based on <laughs> bonuses, have they? I know, I know, I know, I know. So that's so yeah. I think the owners are heavily involved here, and I think that's part of the problem. Um, now, I, I, I personally give Adams full credit for what he's been able to do. This is a first-time general manager. Not only a first-time general manager, this is a guy who really has never been in a hockey ops front office. Before he was hired, he was in charge of human resources for the Buffalo Sabres. Like, he was their business VP or something. I forgot his exact title. Um, So that's what he was doing. I know he's played hockey and he's been around the game, so he has experience there, but not really ever in a front office role. But he made some good moves. I mean, he went out and got Eric Stahl. He got Taylor Hall, whether that was Kruger's help or not. Um, Tobias Reeder was a good addition. Riley Shane looks like a good addition. You know, for cheap. So he's made some nice moves. Um, just I, I don't know how much he's hamstrung. He doesn't have a lot of help around him. No, no assistant general managers. Nobody with experience in that front office. You know, he just has the one analytics guy, Matt Ellis, Dan Girardi as a player personnel guys. That's really it. <sighs> and Ralph Kruger's gut feeling. And Ralph Kruger, but he, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's 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 tricky because I think we can definitively say from years of experience and, and countless examples that making big decisions based off of these kind of wacky percentages that they're kind of incurring this season is a bad idea. Like allowing it to influence your judgment on any player is terrible and you're going to wind up regretting it. And so I just wonder like how how you even approach that right now. Like I... I for me, it's interesting because I think people are understandably focused on Jack Eichel and, and his feelings and how, you know, if he wants out and, and what, what it would take to get him. And, and I understand why people do that to, to get to get clicks and and have people talking. Yep. But like for me, I, I think every single smart team that's eyeing the Sabres right now is having many more internal conversations about Sam Reinhardt than they are Jack Eichel. And yeah, uh, they should be. You know, a 915 PDO, a sub five on ice shooting percentage, uh, a bit of a tricky negotiation this past offseason is an RFA now, a player who, I, I don't know what it is about him. How would you describe it in terms of something about the, his playing style just like causes people to, to disrespect him? It reminds me of what really flashy because he's yeah. not, right? Yeah, he's not flashy. He was a second overall pick. And when you get second overall picks, you want the guy who's, I don't know, flashy, look at all these fancy pantsy moves he makes and. That's not his style. He's just, he's not the quickest skater, which a lot of people beat him up on, but you don't have to be because he thinks the game so quickly. I mean, it's, you saw it against New Jersey. If you watch that game, just the two plays he made to set up the power play goal, then another one for uh, the other goal. So it's just, he's so undervalued and so underrated. It's, there's people who call him soft and he can't play in front of the net, but this guy just takes the beating and always gets up. So it's, it's nuts how underappreciated he is, and, and I wonder how underappreciated the Sabres are. Um, honestly, I think if he wasn't Eichel's closest friend on the team, I wonder if he'd still be here. I think that's also part of the keeping Eichel happy. They traded a lot of Eichel's buddies, Bogosian, um, going all the way back to Jamie McGinn. Uh, Evander Kane was close with him. Um, Ryan O'Reilly was close with him, too, even though there was a craziness that they didn't get along, which Kane turned back to be completely false. They still keep in contact, O'Reilly and Eichel, so... You know, I, I kind of wonder too, 
while we talk about Reinhardt, if Eichel's still around, you know, I, I don't really know if they're going to want to touch that, I guess I would say. Amazing. Falling ass backwards into a great decision of keeping an awesome player. <laughs> right. because he's that's that's a Sabre style though, right? Sabre style. So good. Oh, so good. Um, yeah, so I guess I, we haven't really talked about Eichel and all that much. We've kind of tangentially been like referencing them and stuff. I just, mm-hmm. I really thought that was like the least interesting part of this. Like, yes, Eichel having two goals and one at 5 on 5 is, is weird and uh, certainly not ideal for the Sabres. But like, I went back and watched all of his shots so far. I know you wrote about this recently. Like, the yeah. rate is there. Like the, it's not like it's being inflated with empty calorie shots. Like it, all the no. quality is there. I don't see anything technically that makes me think that something is significantly changed. I think shooting 4% at this point is just a complete aberration. I guess the one functional question, if you were the Sabres though, would be, all right, he's clearly not a 4% shooter. Um, but is he going to be a 16% shooter like he was last year? Or is he going to be more of a 9 to 10 like he was for the first four years of his career? Not that it changes your opinion of him, but I do think in terms of the goal scoring ceiling, clearly, I think there's a pretty big gap between um, kind of expectations, depending on on which side of that argument you fall. Yeah, I think he way overshot expectation last year. I mean, we've never really seen it. I think he was like 14 goals over expected overall, which is nuts. So I, I think realistically, he's around that 10% shooter. Um, which is fine if he's going to give you, you know, depending how much he just shoot at a high volume. Right. Um, you know, so, so, you know, what if he gets you 25 to 30, then he's going to give you, I mean, he's a decent playmaker, gives you another 50 to 60 in assists. So th- that's fine. Um, you know, the crazy part for me, when I look at Eichel, uh, if you look at the public models, the underlings, um, his on ice impact, it's actually better than what it was last year. Yeah. Defensively. And that was when he got the roof, MV- right? right. And that's when he got MVP votes. Yeah. So like that's, that's the crazy part. If the puck was going in the net for them and they were in the in the conversation, I feel like he would be, you know, if he was scoring goals, if he had the points to kind of back it up, I feel like he'd be in that MVP-ish conversation again. So, you know, it's another frustrating part. It's just, I don't know, it's just a lot of people, I think, in Buffalo are, I don't want to say turning on him. Um, there's, there's a lot of narrative coming out that isn't true, that he's just not a good leader, doesn't care. Um, you know, he's been here so long. It's obviously he's the issue because he's the only thing that hasn't changed. So it's him. So let's, you know, trade him, whatever, who cares? It's, it's just, it's, it's kind of a nonsense thing. And even the trade stuff he referenced, which I think is overblown right now, realistically, um, not only from what I've been told, but the Sabres think and kind of where it's going. Um, but just some realistically logical point, the Sabres have until 2022. That's when his no movement clause kicks in. He's not asking for a trade after a 56 game season, COVID yeah. pandemic, and allowing you to trade him to Ottawa. Yeah. That he's not doing that. He's gonna wait till his no movement kicks in. And then he when he wants to get trade, he's gonna hold you down and make him trade you to either LA, the Rangers, or Boston. Because that's where he'd want to go. He doesn't want to go to Minnesota or Ottawa or Montreal or, you know, anywhere or Winnipeg. Like he's not he's just not gonna let you do that. He, he's gonna wanna go where he wants to go, and he's gonna wait till his no movement kicks in and then he's gonna hold his thumb down on you if he really wants to be moved at that point. So it's just, yeah, I think a lot of people are getting carried away with the trade things because it's not happening in the offseason. I'd be very, he'd have to get really frustrated um, because then he doesn't have any power and control. They can go wherever they want to go with him. Well, he survived this long. I don't know what would happen that would finally push him over the edge. This, uh, <laughs> he's he's, he's <laughs> trooped through it, so we'll see. But yeah, I, I, I mean, just hopefully he starts scoring some more goals so we can stop having these conversations about yeah uh, how he looks disinterested because there's just nothing i, I part of me I, I know he had an offseason injury um that i think is carried into this season i, I part of me wonders if he does have something else too maybe he's nursing um but it's just but so weird that the, all the underlyings and the rate generation and everything right. is right there like it's not sure everything up. is right there it's not showing right. up in the numbers which is bizarre yeah um, i think his speed is the only thing that kind of makes me concerned that he might have something because he doesn't have that right explosive top gear every yeah. single night yeah. yeah right yeah yeah it's true and that is what ultimately makes them special so you're right um yeah. all right chad let's uh let's get out of here plug some stuff where can people check out your work and what are you working on these days yeah so um over the pandemic i started, i think i talked about this last time is uh, i started my own website which was a bold move for a team that's not going to play for 10 months uh but it's worked out so um expected buffalo is the site um you cover the sabers we're more of a 
um, stats look, advanced stats kind of focus in the Sabres. So um, there's three of us, there's myself, Anthony, and Eddie. Um, three of us kind of hammer in the Sabres and the, and the numbers stuff behind it. So um, that's where you can find me, expectedbuffalo.com. That's where most of my content is right now. Um, and then our podcast, Expected Buffalo, the podcast. Um, you know, you can really find that anywhere too, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Um, we share, we go through our Sabres misery there. So if you ever want to, you know, join us there. <laughs> It, it, it's good stuff if you really want to revel in the Sabres uh, misery and up and downness of just being a Sabres follower and fan. Awesome, man. Well, this is a blast. I'm glad we got to talk our way through it. Hopefully we provided some therapy for, for people out there and, uh, and we'll chat sometime down the road again. All right, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Cheers. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.